everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 324. They are who we thought they were. Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined with Eddie, once again without Sam, but joined this week with Andy Reid's continued inability to put teams away went up, and Joe Judge's inability to discipline or coach a team that can fucking not go off sides on a field goal to win a game. So, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> wow, and an early swear. Just in case, yeah. Just in case anyone I had to get it right out. Anyone was wondering whether or not you could swear in the podcast? You answer that question right off the bat. Um, yeah, I don't know where to start. I guess yes, Sam is still missing. We have to, I suppose, question his commitment to the podcast. Oh, now is he missing? <laughs> He's missing from here. We can start a whole new podcast. The you know, finding Samuel Jones. We can we can do that. In Mykonos. As, yeah, as a spinoff. <laughs> Maybe he's found Richard Simmons there. Who knows? But. Uh, okay, and, and I guess we'll start with the Chiefs then. Is that where we're going <laughs> to jump in off point? No, before before we get to football, because it's just going to make me angry, let's start with something a little lighter. Um, so our alter ego podcast being Soup Juice. Two little tidbits. The first one, I'm interested to see whether you would go out and get it, because I actually think I might try it. Chipotle is putting out a new meat. The smoked brisket will now be available starting Thursday at all Chipotle locations. Is that because you're less likely to get salmonella from brisket? Is that, is that the logic? <laughs> yeah, because it's slow cooked over yeah. a long period of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> would I try that? Yeah, sure. If I was at Chipotle, yeah. I'd give it a spin. I think that's a pretty hot trend, like the brisket tacos and brisket burritos. So... That'll be interesting to see if that's pretty good. The other major concern in America, Eddie, I don't know if if this has reached Europe yet. I hope it hasn't. But the Lunchables are in short supply in America. Apparently, Lunchables have cleared the shelves and parents are outraged at the lack of Lunchables in their supermarkets to give their obese children. Yeah, I don't think they sell Lunchables here, but... (laughs) It's illegal. (laughs) And I haven't eaten a Lunchable since I was maybe six. Since you had taste buds and said, these are disgusting. (laughs) Part of me would like to maybe retry one uh, just to see exactly. Because I actually probably remember it with a degree of nostalgia. So when I think of Lunchable, I don't think of a disgusting experience. I I was never like a big Lunchable person. It was not a consistent, which I think is part of the reason why I look back on it with a bit of nostalgia. Because it it was kind of a treat. So maybe like once a month I had a Lunchable. And so it was a little bit of an experience every time. But now there's no panic here over a lack of Lunchables. The last time I had Lunchables, I used to be a camp counselor. And the students used to like 
give us things to try and get them on their side to play sports games, you know? So like, Oh, you, can you be on my team today? I'd be like, I don't know what, what do you got? <laughs> so like the prize jewel was the pizza lunchable. <laughs> if, a, if a kid was willing to give up his pizza lunchable, I've never even, you would play on his, on his kickball team or his basketball team or whatever. I've only ever had the classic lunchable. That's all I've ever oh, had. The pizza lunchable. Now I'm, that's like the nostalgia to me that I remember it being good. I know it's not, but I remember it being good. The thing I remember super fondly, and I cannot remember what the name of it is, it was that like chocolate. It's the dipstick thing where it's got like the breadstick and then the Dunkaroos? Cho- yes, the Dunkaroo. Dunkaroos I remember Oof. extremely fondly. Oof. Those, I can tell you, Eddie, those those have stood the test of time. Those oh, yeah? are still good. Uh, so if oh, I, if, yeah. Still phenomenal. Okay. Next time I see a Dunkaroo, I'll have to give it a give it a try. I mean, it's just like an overindulgent cookie with the most processed, fatty dipping sauce you can imagine. Like, how could it not be good? Is that what their advertising campaign says? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if your children isn't overweight yet, he will be after Dunkaroos. We promise. Yeah. Which do you think Andy Reid prefers, Lunchable or, or, or Dunkaroos? He's probably a Dunkaroos fan. He's a sweets guy. He's not wasting his time with a Lunchable. He's just going to go right to hamburger, like Big Macs. <laughs> That's what yeah. he calls a Lunchable. <laughs> a Lunchable is three Big Macs. <laughs> now, okay, we transition to Andy Reid. I'm going to come out and say I don't hold Andy Reid responsible for the Chiefs not winning. I think I hold Patrick Mahomes more responsible. The decision he made to th- attempt that pass when he was getting sacked, which led to an interception, which... I think without the interception, they couldn't have lost the game just because of the time it would have taken the Ravens to drive down the field twice. The fact that they got the ball at midfield put them back in the game. Yeah. So you're referencing they were up 11 yeah. and had the ball at the 50-yard line. Yeah, and it was like a third and 12. Patrick Mahomes was yes. in the process of being sacked. He was basically trying to pull off the throw he attempted in the Super Bowl almost when he threw it when he was sort of parallel to the ground. He was attempting that, but whilst in the clutches of a defender. And then also, even if he had completed the pass, it would have been short of the first down marker. And instead, he threw an interception, which gave the Ravens the ball at midfield. I think that was such a bad decision that if it had been made by anyone other than Mahomes, if Sam Darnold does that or Daniel Jones does that, that is immediately in the highlights of how dumb is Sam Darnold? How dumb is Daniel Jones? But because it's Patrick Mahomes who goes, just a playmaker, just a gunslinger out there trying to make plays. You know, any other day that might have come off for him. Like, what a what a bold move by Patrick Mahomes. It was just really stupid. Now, I will say that was not a good throw. But I cannot put it on Patrick Mahomes when he went 24 of 31 for 350 yards and three TDs. I cannot put that loss on Mahomes. What I can do is put that loss on Andy Reid when all game – Anytime they attempted to throw, it was nearly almost a completion and someone was always open. Whenever they ran the ball, they got completely stuffed except for about four runs of 10 to 15 yards and everything else was a yard or a negative loss. Getting the ball on the 50, up 11, you need to be cutthroat and just go what goes best. Do those passes, do the RPO that he does all day to Kelsey when Kelsey's wide open in the middle. Be aggressive and just put that game away. But no, what do they do? They run a, a terrible 
run for minus five yards. And then next play, instead of saying, you know what, that you're right, that never works. Why do we continue to run? Let's throw. They do like a one yard dump pass. That was basically another run just to try and waste the clock out because they knew they could complete it instead of just trying to just cut the jugular and end it. They tried to run out the clock in the end of the third quarter. I get Mahomes through that pick and that was a shitty pick, but they shouldn't have been in that situation because if they just play like they need to score every drive, they score. But I when they go out and they're like, guys, we need a score. They score. When they go out and say we need to run time off the clock, they fuck up. And I'm tired of watching it. <laughs> wow, you are really worked up over this game. This huge week two NFL game that we'll be talking about for the rest of our lives. Um, we will, because it will be Mahomes' only loss in September ever. That's true. And he threw an interception in September. The Duke of Curse, we praised it. We praised it a week ago. And he immediately it came to a crashing halt. Um, look, I think... I agree to you that they could have passed the ball all day in that game in the same way that the run the Ravens could run the ball all over the Chiefs and things went wrong for the Ravens every time it was completely off, complete opposites every time the Ravens tried to pass and throw the ball something yeah. bad happened every time the Chiefs decided to run the ball something bad happened my bigger concern for the Chiefs is their lack of defense I do also think they seemed very casual about that game as a whole there did seem to be a little bit of a thought in their mind of hey, as long as we get the ball last, we will win, which we discussed all last season, right? That they didn't seem, they kind of went through last season in third gear and could would they be good enough to step into fifth gear when they needed to in the playoffs? I think to a degree, you could argue that they couldn't because when they first faced their first real challenge, they got absolutely destroyed. So it would worry well, me. Which, uh, I mean, which theoretically the we want the ball last almost worked again it had it not been for running the ball i don't i i understand that there's still this feeling in the nfl that you need to have the run game to set up the pass game but after watching the chiefs i don't think you do just do what you do best like if you pass the ball and that you get a like it just don't score. That's all. Just tell Kelsey or whatever to catch the ball and fall down at the two. Well, that was just kneel. So, so this is where I'm like, a little bit. Why are they running? I don't get it. This is where I'm a little bit sympathetic to the decision to run the ball when uh, Edward Solaire fumbled it to effectively end the game. They needed to kill the clock because, yes, the concept of having the ball last works, but only if you have the ball last. And at that time, there's what, three minutes left in the game? Something like that? Two and a half? So if they had just, and in a sense, they were a victim of the fact that their first play on that drive was like a 25-yard completion that put them at midfield. They were going, legitimately, they were going too quickly for a team that could not stop the Ravens. And you can say all you want, like, yeah, score and then deal with the problem. But when you have, honestly, their, their defense is just a massive sieve. Like there's just holes in it all over the place. So I wouldn't trust them with 90 seconds left. They couldn't stop. Lamar Jackson could have run for a thousand yards in that game. Like, yeah. I mean, they was just. No, it's true. So I just think, I mean, there's never been anything more certain for me, for example, than when they just, when the Ravens decided to go for it on fourth and one, that he was going to pick up that first down. Like I couldn't imagine a situation in which they were going to stop him. But I, Look, and, and Edwards' fumble I, I, I mean, is just, even that, it's just all it's just an awful fumble too. 
Like it's not even. It was a bad fumble. Sometimes there are fumbles where you're like, "Ooh, man, you got hit hard," or you got hit by from multiple directions at the same time, or they hit you at a really awkward moment. He literally got handed the ball, kind of a fairly standard tackle of someone trying to attempt to punch the ball out, and the ball was just like, "Oh, there it goes." I mean, it was terrible. It was bad, but I mean, even that drive. I mean, you're right. The 23 yard pass right off the bat with three minutes 14 seconds to start that drive kind of actually puts them in a bad situation, but they go 23 yard pass, 13 yard pass, seven yard pass. They're now sitting second and three at the Baltimore 32 with a minute and 40 left. Like you don't need to run there, get a first down with another pass, but they need, and and then the time's down because Baltimore had like, I, I, I get you want the clock to run out. I get that. But, the Chiefs can do that with their passing. They game. can do, but you, know, you do just run tell the risk. Whoever not to I know. Score. I know that this is this is one of those. This is one of where there's yeah, the, five five incompletions all game. But this <laughs> this is one of those though where the outcome decides how we interpret what the decision making was, which is kind of not fair. Because say they throw for that first down, say they pick up six yards, the little you know post to you know, stick to, to Kelsey, something like that. He just picks it up. Nice, secure six, seven yards. They got a first down. So what they're then at the 30, something like that, the Ravens 30. So they're looking at 45 yard field goal, which with their kicker is very doable. They'd feel like they were already comfortably in field goal range, but you'd still want a little bit more. It then leaves you in that awkward situation of, well, now you don't want to turn the ball over. And that might even be what they felt a little bit with the decision to run where they were because they might have already thought, hey, if this is fourth down from where we are right now, we're comfortable attempting a field goal. And so your combination of no turnovers but also drain the clock, I I mean, look, you just got to blame. I'm not going to blame anyone aside from the running back who has an awful fumble for a fumble on a, a very basic run play his first fumble ever also true yeah he's not exactly had a good career but his first fumble so in a sense you might have almost been on the well, sideline second year <laughs> sure but he's had a decent number of carries but like yeah you'd almost have told yourself well he's got a safe pair of hands this is a, we can't really see worst yeah. case scenario he's getting stuffed which he was basically getting stuffed anyway on that play like they weren't all gaining game. <laughs> also true all career fundamentally but they weren't going to gain any yards, even if he hadn't fumbled. But I mean, it just worries me with the Chiefs that, and we discussed this all last season, that that Super Bowl win and this aura of invincibility. I think they have they're drinking their old own Kool Aid a little bit, and what that means is that they're not. There's a killer instinct missing from them. There's they are super casual about their gameplay, and that's great. But it does two things. One, there's a lot of teams out there. The Ravens now will go into any future game against the Chiefs with two big things. One, believing that they can genuinely beat the Chiefs. And two, they did something that I think most people thought the Ravens were not capable of doing, which is coming back from a double-digit deficit, which is their huge problem because they're so reliant on their run game. Yeah. They'll go in now. And they did it by running. Yes, Exactly. (laughs) And so they'll feel really confident now in any future circumstance of like, if it's going into the fourth quarter, we're down 10. Don't worry. We've been here. We've done this. We know we can do this. And that would worry me if I were the Chiefs and uh, against an opponent who you're very likely to play in the playoffs. And also, I just think anyone out there is starting to feel like 
yeah, we can get to them. We saw them get demolished in the Super Bowl. We're seeing teams compete with them and beat them on a pretty regular basis. Like we have a chance going against the Chiefs. So I guess one, the other one that we can get into and get out of the way that also extremely pissed me off on a night game was the Thursday night Giants loss. And the storyline coming out of that was Taylor Heineke being a gamer and coming up and making the big plays and having the comeback win. I don't really see where that comes from because theoretically he threw the interception on what should have been their last drive. And it was a terrible interception that then the giants got and kicked a field goal to go back up. So if anything, he blew the game. He was an anti-gamer, <laughs> but this is what we're, this is what I'm talking <laughs> and, about. Like so much of sports is outcome like, based. Yeah, I know. I, exactly. And have, does Dexter Lawrence not jump offside? Then the it's completely turned around. It's, Heineke had the ball with the game on the line and threw the interception to give up the game-winning field goal and couldn't drive them down enough to score. I mean, I don't think I think Heineke is in this sweet spot at the moment where he is he'll never be too overly criticized because the reality is he was taking online Who classes to compete complete his college yeah. degree ten months ago. <laughs> so he is in no knock to anyone taking online. No, college. no, good for him, and actually even better for him for someone who was trying to still stay in the NFL but simultaneously pursuing their education. So in case it didn't work out, he had something to fall back on. So he deserves tremendous praise for being sensible in his approach. However, it has put him in this sweet spot probably for the remainder of this year, as still being. I mean, they called him last year, right? The quarantine quarterback. That was his nickname. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't the worst nickname ever. It's both simultaneously good and bad. But but I think what he's just in that position where no one's ever going to rip into him too much. And he's just going to get praise when someone goes, well, who saw that coming? We all thought this guy really would suck. And he's not that bad. And I mean, in fairness, yeah. in that performance, but it's, it's, he wasn't it's that just bad. Funny how, it's just funny how that one play can really change that outlook because I mean, for all intensive purposes, they lose that game and he throws the interception that cost them. And I think it's a different story, but my main takeaway from this is not to blame Dexter Lawrence for jumping offside. Obviously he doesn't, they win the game, but Joe judge needs to get out of this early thousands Patriot mindset that has worked for no coach, but Bill Belichick and has to realize in this new age football field goals do not win games anymore. You cannot win NFL games kicking four field goals a game. You need to score touchdowns. Let me put this in perspective. He had a fourth and two on the Washington five elect to kick a field goal. He had a fourth and four on the Washington 29 elected to kick a field goal. He had a fourth and two on the Washington 34 elected to kick a field goal. He had a fourth and four on the Washington 37 elects to kick a field goal. You need to go for these. I, okay. I mean, I, the uh, stats, the advanced uh, analytics uh, out there let me, will tell them that that was the absolute wrong let move me play devil, every one let of Let me those. play devil's advocate to this because I mostly agree with you. I think it does depend on your opponent. Like, you know, going against, against the Chiefs, Three points is is kind of worthless. You need seven. But 
would again, you're doing a little bit of an outcome based analysis there of his decision making because what he would say is, oh no, no, At no, real time, I had that. You every did, time. but he was pretty close to winning that game with the decision making that he had. So you could say they probably should have won even with all the decisions that he took. Secondly, we saw other games this weekend where teams won by basically relying on field goals like the Cowboys in a fairly low scoring game, even though there was there were tons of yards. They ended up being a low scoring affair. And then equal and then also another team who openly turned down points when you look at the Eagles against the Niners, I think that game almost swung on their decision to go for the Philly special on a fourth down in a play that just instantly fell apart. But I actually think if they'd just gone up 6-0 there, it would have had a, the game would have felt tro- totally different, whereas as long as it stayed at the three, it sort of felt like you're throwing your best shots at this and you're coming away with zeros and we're getting more confident from that fact. So I do agree with you for the most part, but I do think it's contextual. And I actually think in that game against Washington, it wasn't awful to just take three points. I I just – the more I watch the NFL now, you need to score touchdowns. I mean, defenses can't hold as often. You're right. There were games that – like the Cowboys, Chargers, that were low scoring. But for the majority of the part, teams are putting up 30-plus or close to it. And you need touchdowns. You can't, you can't score one touchdown and four field goals. And, yes, you can win some games. But the majority of the time, you're not. And besides that point – some of those scenarios, like a fourth and two on the Washington five, you do not kick a field goal. You just don't do it. You you go for it. Like the 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 analytics on that I, I, are so look, insane. Look, I th- I think it's like the argument for me. It's not the analytics. I think it is when I'm watching a game and I want a team. I want my team to win, and the other team has the ball, and it's fourth and one, fourth and two, and I think to myself. What will I be happy to see right now? If the field goal unit comes out, if the punt unit comes out, or if the offense stays on the field, I'm almost always the most disappointed slash scared when the offense stays on the field in almost any situation. Now, it does flip. Like when I was watching the Niners this weekend and the Eagles decide to go over in the fourth down, I think, oh, crap, they're going to end up getting this touchdown even though you've had a good defensive stand to force the fourth down. Then they have the incompletion and suddenly you're like, wow, that was great. What a momentum shifter in this game. That what a, How dumb were they to not just take the chip shot field goal and be up 6-0? But, so look, I, I mostly agree with you. but And it also depends on how confident you're in, you are with your offense. It's really easy when you have Lamar Jackson decide, decide to go for it on fourth and one. It's really easy when you have Patrick Mahomes to decide to go for it on fourth and two. It's maybe a little trickier when you have Daniel Jones to decide to go for it consistently Whoa, on hey, fourth hey. Jones. Now Saquon Barkley Daniel had a Jones good game. Daniel Jones had a good game. He had a pretty good game. I think Daniel good, Jones had a good game. I think good might be a stretch. He had a good game for I, Daniel Jones. No, he had a good game. <laughs> by whose standards? We'll see the by everyone's standards. We'll see the ratings. I will get the ratings for that week when we discuss uh, next week's games, and we'll see where he rated. But it was pretty high. Shifting, though, from a offsides 
negating a missed game winning field goal that was then made to a atrociously missed 37 yard attempt by the Minnesota Vikings. Did you see the Vikings radio announcer announced it as if they had made it? I don't. Yeah, I, I listened to that. I don't understand because I was watching that live and I wanted the Vikings to it's win. Close. It, instantly off his foot. You were just like, oh, he's missed it. Like it, it started wider. Than, and OK, it's only missed by a couple of feet. So it's not like he shanked it by miles, but it started wide of the upright and it was only moving away from the upright. So yeah. there was never a moment when it looked like it was good. It was so good, too, because he's like, it's good. No, he missed it. <laughs> like, the, the change in the voice was so good. Oh, that was bad. Takeaway from that game, my only takeaway, Kyler Murray is now favored to win the MVP. Any chance? Uh, he's got a chance, for sure. But I think the the roadblock will be... the possibility that the cardinals don't even make the playoffs so it's great they've beaten two pretty bad teams in their opening game like i I mean that was the exact performance that we spoke about for that game which was kind of stay away from it anything could happen oh unbelievable and i mean they should have lost yes he made a couple of big plays at the same time i don't know how to feel about him because his big plays are spectacular but they're also awful so a lot of his big plays are basically him playing what we everyone will refer to as backyard football, but literally just running like a headless chicken away from the line of scrimmage and just throwing the ball up. It is a very different look to when, say, Patrick Mahomes evades some pressure and then hits hits like Tyreek Hill downfield because the difference is Mahomes looks in control at every moment even though the play is breaking down and he's got a full-on blitz coming at him and he's kind of dancing his way around three oncoming you know, linemen. Whereas sometimes, I mean, I remember on the third down he completed in that Vikings game when he just ran backwards and then heaved it downfield and I think it was Kirk was wide open. I was happy. I was wanting the Vikings to win, and I was like watching it happen. I was like, oh, that's great. He is just like, this could be an interception. Now, great when it comes off. It's not going to be great when he's in the playoffs and he does that, and it it is an interception. (laughs) And I mean, that's he's due one of these to go badly. In the same way that Mahomes making those plays, it's going to go wrong sometimes. Yeah. I I mean, I think you're doing a slight disservice to him. He, He does have a lot of nice, just step back throws he, he only had six incompletions the whole no game. no no no. i'm not or, saying every single so, play no no i know i know panicked. i know i know but what i will agree with you on is he does have a lot of those plays where he tries to force it and do that backyard football i can fit this into a window that doesn't exist and gets bad picks i mean he's still throwing those bad interceptions and that's the difference between I think him and Mahomes, although Mahomes, we just talked about, had that bad interception. But on the whole, he avoids those a lot more than someone like Murray, who is still still makes bad decisions. If he can correct that, I think he's got a shot. What worries me more is the hits he takes, being a smaller QB. And that was the issue last year, is is he going to be able to withstand a full season? Because he even took some brutal hits this game that, you know, he's not – 
Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen, a big, a big QB. He's a little guy. It's gonna, it's gotta take its toll on him. Yeah, no. Yeah. Look, I'm not sold on the Cardinals. I still think they're the team that I thought they were. They are the better version of the Vikings and they're going to beat some good teams along the way. And they are going to lose to some bad teams along the way. And they probably will make the playoffs, but I, they're not going to, they're probably going to be a wild card and they're going to face a very difficult path in the playoffs. As for him winning the MVP, I don't know. I think early on in the season, the MVP race is so, I mean, last year, right? Russell Wilson had it locked up by week six or seven. And then by the end of the season, he wasn't even being mentioned as an MVP candidate. So it is one of those things where early on it's easy. Now, the opposite this weekend of Kyler Murray, though, Jimmy Garoppolo, who I messaged you during that Niners game. (laughs) My thoughts didn't change, even though he put together some really nice drives as they turned that game around. I've had enough of him. He can... He needs to be benched. Trey Lance needs to come in. I do think if you're <laughs> Shanahan, this might be the perfect situation so far, which is the Niners are winning games, but Jimmy G doesn't look yeah. that great. So it is setting them up to kind of get off to a nice start and have Trey Lance come in with maybe not as much pressure on him and ability to lose one or two games early on and not derail their playoffs. And give him some time. Yeah. And at the same time, it wouldn't be controversial right now if – they said, thanks thanks for that run to the Super Bowl, but good luck wherever you land next. Yeah, so the issue with the Niners now is they've won the two games that they should have won to start, and now they have Packers, Seahawks, Cardinals, Colts, which is a tough stretch of four games. I mean, yes and so, no. They've owned the Packers in recent years. I've yet to see anything from the Packers this year that has really scared me. So I I expect the Niners and the Packers to do continue sort of have a replay of recent battles with each other and the Niners to win that comfortably. The Colts, who knows? The Colts, I mean, it's going to depend on what their quarterback situation is because that game could look significantly easier depending on what happens there. And... Now, so, so just real quick, something interesting about that. We can go back to the Niners. Um, I'm sure you know, but maybe a lot of people weren't aware. When the Eagles traded Wentz, it was for a second round pick unless he doesn't start 75% of the snaps. It jumps up to a first round pick. That could be interesting. So is this a conspiracy theory? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought it was interesting that he his previous serious injury also happened against the Rams. So he's just not not enjoyed his career so far against the Rams. Um, or sorry, it would be the other way, right? Because the if he doesn't play seventy five percent, the Colts, yeah, yeah, then he then yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a mess for him. It just feels like, but I, I think going back to the Garoppolo, I mean, you're right. I, I watched, I went back and watched some of the highlights. He's like a less effective Alex Smith at this point, <laughs> which is he, not what you want. He misses wide open receivers. 
And the thing is, he misses them in such a way that when you're watching it first time round, you don't actually realize how wide open they are. To a certain extent, it's a little bit like the play, the deep throw to Emmanuel Sanders in the Super Bowl, which is like in the moment when you're caught up, you're like, oh, wow, he nearly hit a deep receiver. And then you watch it back and go, he had all day to throw and Emmanuel Sanders is wide open. A quarterback should in the NFL should be hitting that throw. Like, and three or four times over the course of that Eagles games, drives just stalled because he couldn't hit a wide open receiver. And uh, I feel better about the Niners after that Eagles performance because I think their defense looked pretty good. And I mean, I joke about it in saying that I don't think it matters who, that it's plug and play with whoever's in the backfield for them, but it's legitimately plug and play. I mean, every running back that gets pulled in there, I think they're onto their fourth string running back and they still look like they should be making the Pro Bowl just because of how good the run scheme is. So I feel better overall about them. We don't do our power rankings, but I would have them in the top five of whatever non-existent power ranking I have. But yeah, Jimmy G, if he's starting for them in the playoffs, it's not a good sign. My main thing with them is, yeah, they crushed the Lions, but so did the Packers on Monday night. So I think they should have put a little more on the board against the Eagles there. I'm interested to see. I think the Packers game will be a shootout. I'm interested to see Seahawks Cardinals. I think those are the those are the good measurements of. I think who's going to be the best. Yeah, and then. I mean, not much to talk about with that Monday night game with the Packers and the Lions. Uh, the Lions looked decent for a half, but they just can't. That defense is, was atrocious. I mean, every time the Packers got the ball, I think they scored. The interest, the more interesting part, again, was this time I watched more of the Peyton and Eli Manning Monday night broadcast. It's pretty good. They are pretty funny. So they're good. And entertaining. They're very good together. I think they sometimes get derailed by their guests. Gronk was a, was useless. They kind of salvaged it a little bit when, for example, when he just... People loved the, like, do you watch the film? That was interesting part. to know that Gronk didn't watch any film. It's not surprising. <laughs> no. It, the only thing that surprises me about it is how close he and Tom Brady are and that Tom Brady has tolerated him watching no film. That's the kind of surprising thing, but does that make you like Tom Brady more? A little, to, because he seems it's he seems more like a like a normal person because of it. Because I think I would hate him more if like Gronk went over his house to hang out one day and he was like, "You're watching film or you're leaving," and would kick him out of the house. But the fact that he tolerates that Gronk is just Gronk. I think I respect Brady a little more. I think it gives me a little bit more respect both for Brady and for Belichick, which is an understanding that you can't treat everyone equally, which I do think, for example, with Belichick, you hear ex-players talk about. <laughs> we can we can clip that out. That'll, that'll run wild on Twitter. Well, yeah. I mean, they've had that history of that as well, right? But, you know, if you're going to deal with different personalities – you have you can't manage them in the same way. And so what it does show is a degree of understanding there that look, the thing that makes Gronk Gronk, we probably kill it if we make him sit and watch game tape and take notes on everything. And the reality is we need exactly what 
he basically says he gets, which is Tom Brady goes to him and says, hey, this game, you're going to be able to exploit this weakness in their defense, and this is where we're going to look for you a lot, and this is the, you know, this is the, the route I might want you to run regularly. And then apart from that, it's just like, go go and be you. Get yourself open. Like If you're better than them, great, we'll win. If you're not, we're in trouble. He's probably also too, right? The other thing to throw into Gronk. I think he's fairly genuine, but he is also, he embraces the Gronk persona, right? So the goofiness, is there an element here where he watches a little bit of game tape, but he knows it's funnier if he says, I don't watch any, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw out that possibility. I mean, there's no reason, there's no way he can't watch game tape because I mean, half of the practices are them in the in the film room, and he has to be at the practice. Well, he did say that. So he clearly watches game tape. He did say that in the th- tape, in, in the interview. He said, I watch game tape yeah. when we watch it together. But he's basically yeah, saying yeah, outside yeah. of that, and he doesn't watch anything. But, I, but yeah, I think the Manning broadcast is great. It's just the guests a little bit that can take it off. Gronk was a l- Did you see the Pat McAfee I mean, part? Pat McAfee. I've had enough of him. He's, I don't need him. Surprise, surprise, he had a sleeveless shirt on. Yeah, and surprise, (laughs) surprise, he had to scream way too loud into his microphone when someone had a mediocre punt. (laughs) And yeah, I just, I appreciate him trying to encourage people to be interested in an aspect of the game that they normally wouldn't be and where they underappreciate the level of skill or dedication that it takes to be a really good punter. I'm fine with that. But we also don't have to treat every punt as if it is like the <laughs> Russell Wilson interception in the Super Bowl. Like there is, yeah. it's just like, yeah, that was a punt. Cool. Pretty good one. His story though of Peyton was pretty classic. Did you hear his, his gambling story? He's told that story so many times. I mean, that's the other thing Pat, Pat McAfee has done, right? He has made a career out of being someone who knew Peyton Manning. Like that's how he kind of yeah. spun his whole, I mean, fundamentally, right? When he started his stand-up career, it was, hey, let me tell you funny stories about Peyton Manning. And as long as you, t- and basically if uh, if I have a stand-up gig in Indiana, Indiana or in Tennessee or in Louisiana, I'm going to sell those venues out because people are going to want to hear funny stories about Peyton Manning. And he's he's managed to spin that into a much bigger existence, but the number of times I have heard him tell the gambling story or everything else about first impression of Peyton Manning. I mean, retire it. But Peyton's response to that story was pretty good. Because for those who haven't heard the story, although Eddie's heard it dozens of times, basically Peyton Manning rented out half a casino and they were gambling and McAfee was going back to his hotel room to the elevator and there was a roulette table right by. So he had a few chips left went to go play on the roulette. And before the wheel was spun, Peyton Manning popped out. And as he's walking by, he's like, hey, how about that number 18? And then instantly, everyone that was at the table just unloaded onto 18, McAfee included. And then it spun and 18 hit and everyone won and went ballistic. And Manning just kind of just kept walking. And uh, Manning tells the story. He's like, you know, I do that every time and it's the only time that it's ever worked. He's like, but it only needed to work once. Yeah. <laughs> Which is again why Peyton Manning is an appealing person. Because he does he kind of pokes fun at himself and 
kind of dispels some aspects of the aura that surrounds him and is happy to be the butt of jokes. So, yeah. And, and I can, and speaking of like genuine, I can genuinely see him like walking through a casino just randomly and walking by a roulette one time and just going to someone be like, Hey, 18 red and just keep walking and but, almost not even caring. I mean, like, what look, let's also be you clear. Know, just playing off himself. I think if anyone did that, I think if next time I'm in a casino, I confidently walked up to a roulette table and just tapped one of the people playing on the shoulder and said, 27 looks pretty good to me. And then just walked off. And then they slap you. I think someone would be like, I better put some on 27 just in case. You know, now the difference is the story won't be told forever because I'm not famous. But I do think you could almost have that effect on anyone in a casino. Now, some other big takeaways. Talking of about the Ravens coming into that back, back into that game from a big deficit by running the ball, the Titans also did that, which was kind of mind-blowing in that game against the Seahawks. They looked dead and buried. And then somehow the Seahawks let them get back into it. Another like... Un- unreal. Like he had to... I mean, Derrick Henry had 40 yards in that first half. I, I watched the first half and, and thought, oh man is Henry done? You know, like this is now the second game. Henry hasn't looked very good. Is he done? And then you start watching and you, you know, you watch them come back and watch them win. You look at the final stats. He had 180 yards and three TDs, you know, like it's crazy. And they were losing, you know, like it's another, they were doing something that you would think not possible, similar to the Ravens. Like you can't be down multiple scores and just be running the ball. And he looked I mean, the Seahawks, it just looked like similar to that Ravens Chief game, Chiefs game. It, they didn't look like they could stop him. And it made me feel, obviously, I I threw the Titans in the, in the trash after week one. I'm not taking them out of the trash, but I've maybe, I've, I've taken the lid off the trash can and I've just had a look to see if the Titans are still there just in case I need to reach in and get them again. But they're still... They're still in the can. <laughs> They're in the can, but the can's now slightly open. There's a way for escape. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, look, I think they'll win this week because they're going to play the Colts with who knows who playing at quarterback. So that's a really nice, that's taking what looked like a very tough matchup for them and making it significantly easier. So by the end of week three, they'll suddenly look as if they're in a commanding position for that division. I still don't think I would not be worried about them in the playoffs. How about Bills and Rams? What do you take away from two teams that we both ranked pretty highly, or all three of us actually had ranked pretty highly? The Bills did what I thought they would do this week. It was a convincing performance. <laughs> Can you stop using that quote? <laughs> I'm not using the quote. And I didn't say they are who I thought they were. I said that they did what I thought they'd do. It's a variation, but it's hard sometimes not to say. I want somebody to say Yes, and what they they did what I expected they would do, um, <laughs> and the Rams are the team I thought they were. Get <laughs> <laughs> live, eh? The Rams are pretty. From now on, I'll just ask a question and just push that quote button like <laughs> E Bomb's World. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if I ever go on holiday to Mykonos, you can just replace me, but through that through a soundboard, the. You're going to go on a, a Mykonos ground and pound <laughs> exactly. expedition? Yeah. <laughs> scouting, <laughs> scouting mission. The, Bring Vasilis. <laughs> the, um, the Rams, 
again, they kind of looked like that game was going to slip away from them. They were in a commanding position, and then the Colts came back into it, and maybe if Goff hadn't gone out injured, that would have been a different story. It's still a good win, and they, at times, their offense looks so good that it's terrifying. Just the speed at which they were able to put together suddenly they'd score a touchdown in, a, in the blink of an eye. But I'm still – and Cooper Cup is constantly sort of injured. That's concerning for them. As for the Bills, I think it's hard to read too much into that. But it was a good performance. Yeah. I mean, for me, I picked the Rams to be the NFC champions. I am slightly worried. I thought they would look a little better than they're looking. And it's kind of the defense. Aaron Donald is still just insane. I mean, just watching him play, it's so amazing. He is just dominant. But the rest of that defense hasn't stepped up like I thought they would. And it kind of angered me that that last play to end the game, uh, Jalen Ramsey made that pick. And everyone, you know, everyone for some reason just – I think people are afraid of Jalen Jalen Ramsey to say something negative against them because he's just going to bash them on Twitter. But the praise he got for a ball that was overthrown 13 yards – into right into his chest basically i mean it wasn't a good interception it was just an atrocious throw and jalen ramsey happened to be the guy standing there um but you know it is nice to see that their offense looks good and that stafford seems to have fit right in and is playing super well the bills i think that was a good comeback win after disappointing week one and hopefully that will put them back on track but it's another game where Josh Allen played well, but not spectacular. So after two weeks, the consensus kind of is that he hasn't progressed. He's kind of stayed the same or even regressed a little, especially with the completion percentage and the deep balls, not as effective as they were last year. Um, and that was kind of his MO coming in to the NFL, right? Was he's not his completion percentage isn't that great. And then he seemed to turn the corner. But now it seems to be regressing a little bit. So that's a little bit of a worry. Um, the other thing that you mentioned was, had that game been different if Carson Wentz had went out? And that brings to mind, for me, the Cleveland Browns and the Texans. The Texans who were up 14. Were they up? Or was it tied? Was it tied 14-all? I think, yeah, it was maybe? tied 14-all. Yeah. Yeah. Tied 14 all, and Tyrod Taylor was 10 of 11 for 125 yards, a TD, uh, and I think a rushing touchdown too. Was looking great and never came back on the field after that rushing touchdown when he pulled his hamstring. And then after that, it was game over. That worried me a little bit about the Browns there um, to kind of let the Texans come in and I don't know play a great first half. Yeah, I think. I think it's hard to judge a team. There's a lot of times you see a mediocre to bad team hanging around for the first half, and it's usually in the second half where they a team really starts to separate. So I'm not going to read too much into that. I think the Texans are better than a lot of people thought they were going to be. They're not a total train wreck of a Damn team. Damn right. <laughs> but uh, Texans. <laughs> but I. But at the same time. I think the Browns were were getting the job done, and I think it would have been a similar result, even if 
Tyrod Taylor had, had stayed in. It, is there anyone getting more bad beats in the past few years than Tyrod Taylor? <laughs> like, <laughs> you got to feel bad for this guy. Yes and no. I guess you could also argue he's either the worst starting quarterback or he's the best backup. I don't know where he falls kind of in that on the spectrum, but I, mean, I don't know if he's the worst starting quarterback <laughs> in the NFL right now. Who's worse? Legitimate starter, not started a game last week, but like the team's number one starter. If everyone's healthy, who's worse? I think he's better than Fitzmagic. Is he better than Heineke? I think he's better than Jalen Hurts right now. Oh, that's tough. I think he's better than Zach Wilson right now. We can get into that later. Zach Wilson, he's done. Nice. Stick a fork in that guy. <laughs> like, he he won't be in the NFL next year. He has not looked good. Let's put it this way. It is not what you would be hoping for. But again, look, it's a topic we kind of touched on to a degree last week, which is we suddenly have this expectation that college quarterbacks are going to be able to come in and be instantly – in the top, say, 50 percentile of NFL starters. Yeah. And that's a fairly new phenomenon, and I don't think it's always the case. And no. Zach Wilson is also on a very bad team and has basically every- it, it doesn't help, though, that he played another rookie QB who outplayed him. No, but he was <laughs> he was playing against the coach who is the rookie QB killer. So, yeah. And everything else. I mean, that's a Ooh, good Patriots. I think I saw that on Crime Junkie. <laughs> that's a good Patriots defense. It's obviously the Patriots on offense have more weapons around uh, Mac Jones than the Jets have around Wilson. And then also on a coaching matchup. I mean, the, the, stack, the deck is stacked heavily in the Patriots' favor. The real question there is from a coaching perspective – that could be a coach, a head coach who I don't know. Sometimes you have that temptation if you're a coordinator to jump at the first time you get offered a head coaching position because the fear is that may, it may never come around again. And I do understand that because there's a moment when your reputation is really big and you're one of the kind of hot names that's getting mentioned as being linked to every job. And if you don't take them that time around, they just – People forget about you, even if you continue to excel. But I don't know if jumping at the Jets was the smartest decision for someone, particularly a defensive coordinator, because there's going to be a lot of ugly losses over the course of the next season or two. And such a highly rated coach. I mean, he was top two or three, you know, sought after coaches in the NFL. He could have held out and got a much better job. And similarly, too. Yeah, and also in a really good position where he was. So you would have said, you're probably going to be on a Super Bowl, Super Bowl contender, so you're going to keep yourself relevant. It's not as if, well, you were the defensive coordinator on a team where you're like, oh, we're going to be bad, and so I'm going to get hurt, not by me being bad, but by the team being bad. Whereas this was more of a situation of, oh, your stock might continue to rise because there's a chance that you're – in the NFC Championship game or the Super Bowl, even if you don't actually do that much well. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Zach Wilson, just those interceptions. Some of those interceptions were some of the worst thrown balls I've ever seen in my life. I mean, 
that was not pretty. But yeah, just I mean, real quick, just to get back to Tyrod Taylor, though, I mean, he lost his starting job to Nathan Peterman, who I don't even think is in the NFL anymore. He then got his lung punctured by <laughs> by by the doctor in in L.A. and that ended his season there. And now he just has like a hamstring pull, scoring a touchdown, like an untouched hamstring pull. It's just it's unfortunate. I mean, I think he could be a decent QB. I mean, yeah, you're right. He's not a top 10, 15 quarterback, but he could be a top 20. It's a bad beat. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Other takeaways from the weekend? Kind of. Oh, I'll give I'll, I'll give you a quick one here. Denver two and zero for real or pretender? Well, you know why they're going to be a pretender because they're going to be my survivor pick this week. So it's going to burn the but the Broncos bubble will burst as soon as I have pinned my survivor hopes on them. So for context, anyone could anyone have a a better three games? Yeah, it's Giants, Jaguars, Jets. It's a great start <laughs> in a tough division. It's a great start, and also a great start with the context that other teams in their division have started well. I mean, the Raiders have started well, even though the Raiders had on paper what looked like a difficult opening two games. So, I, yeah, I, they're gonna. I think. I think they're not. I don't think they're for real. I think they just. They are what we thought they were. They. <laughs> what did you think they were, Eddie? A pretty good defense <laughs> and a team that won't shoot themselves in the foot too often. They're pretty efficient, well coached, do a lot of the things right, but are a tier below the really good teams in the league. Now let me go right, right down that division. Then Raiders. 2-0. Are they for real or not? Well, historically, right, they fall off a cliff after Thanksgiving, so until they have a good run, until they win some games in December, I guess the jury's out. I think they're better than I thought they were going to be. But... <laughs> oh, a change to the quote! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I... They have some good players. When they when things are working on their offense, it's a pretty good offense. It has to be said. But I'm, and it would be interesting if they were good because they obviously they've had so much criticism over some of the players they traded away at different moments, like with Khalil Mack, and then just with Gruden with the ten year contract. It would be interesting to see people in the media have to flip a little bit and suddenly say, "Hey." They actually were pretty smart and over the course of two or three years managed to turn themselves into from being a pretty bad team with a couple of good players into a pretty good team with a lot of good players. I yeah. I think they might meet that. I, I I'm impressed. I think they look I think they look really good. And that offense looks pretty explosive. Derek Carr through two games, I mean this is through two games, but he has the most passing yards in Raiders history in the first two games of a season. And that's a pretty historic team. You know, they've had a lot of great players, a lot of NFL, uh, Hall of Fame players, quarterbacks. So impressive. How old is Derek Carr? Oh, that's tough. 30? Yeah, 30. Everyone kind of assumes he's a little younger, but he's actually... He's been- not he's on the second half of his career, but he's, he's in prime. He's got... 
three years of prime football left. I think they've set up pretty well. I, I mean, we'll see. It's still early, but the Ravens and the Steelers, two quality teams with quality defenses and averaging 30 points a game against those two is pretty good. All right, let me give you two more. We'll go NFC South. 2-0 and Buccaneers, 2-0 and Panthers. For real or nothing to worry about? I think the Panthers are on a par with the Raiders where there's some pretty good elements to their team there, but there's some, they're going to have some bad performances and there's a few question marks. The Buccaneers, I mean, they got, they didn't, that game, if people just looked at that, if they didn't watch any of that game against the Falcons and they just looked at the scoreline, they would think that was a very different game to the one that it was because that was a legitimate game with only a few minutes left. And then Matt Ryan decided that he'd, I don't know, bet his entire contract on the Buccaneers minus, minus this, like, the points. <laughs> and just, I don't know, he owed, he owed some someone in the mafia a lot of money and just thought, hey, look, Tom Brady isn't scoring enough points. I'll score 14 for the, for the, for the Buccaneers in a heartbeat. But... <sighs> The Buccaneers haven't looked that convincing so far, but then they didn't look that convincing at times in the regular season last year. And I do think they are a team where they're old and their goal is let's just get ourselves to the playoffs and all everyone be healthy. And from there, we think we're going to be the best four game team in the league. So I'm not going to read too much into anything that happens to the Buccaneers this year unless Tom Brady has a serious injury. Panthers. Yeah. I mean, another great stat line for Brady. 20, 24, 36, 276, five TDs, no interceptions. He's, uh, he's, he's still playing at a high level. And did you see, but this at least will be put to rest because Breeze has retired. We talked about this last year, the every time Breeze or Brady passes one another and sets the new all-time passing record, blah, blah, blah. But projections are that Brady will break it against the Patriots. That would be pretty funny. It's very Tom Brady. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, and and the real takeaway from that series of games, right? And the Panthers, the Panthers. They're, they're, they're all right. I still need to see more of them. I mean, fundamentally, if if Christian McCaffrey stays healthy, they're a really they have the potential to be a really good team. Because, as I said, as a preview going into that game, he by himself is a pretty decent NFL offense. So, as long as Christian McCaffrey is there, they'll be okay because they're hard to stop. But history would also tell you Christian McCaffrey does not stay healthy for an entire season. Coming from the guy who says running backs are the most overrated position in the NFL, that's saying something. But the thing that's the thing that's special about McCaffrey, right, is he's not just the best running back in the league. He's one of the best receivers in the league at the same time. If Saquon Barkley was not only capable of getting 100 to 150 yards on the ground, but at the simultaneously picking up 100 to 150 yards receiving every game, then I'd be way more into Saquon Barkley. 
But if you told me that Christian McCaffrey was never going to carry the ball again, he'd still be one of the best receivers in the league, and I'd still want him on any team in the NFL. That's what's really special about him. And then the Saints are the team, right, whose bubble was really burst this weekend. Ouch. (laughs) They came back to... And actually, now that you say that, not only was their bubble burst, but their Superdome caught on fire this morning. Because <laughs> uh, there's a city that needed more bad luck. But yeah, the, um, yeah, they came back, came back to earth with a bang, and I think they'll just be one of those teams this season who, when everything clicks, they'll look really good, and they're just going to have some nightmare performances at the same time. And you're not, you're not going to know going into a week which one it's going to be. Uh, what else do you expect from Jameis Winston? <laughs> yeah. Now, as our wrap-up to this week, re- reacting to the week two of the NFL, do you want to know, because we we didn't actually say how we performed in the week one predictions, do you want to know how you performed with your week two picks and where you stand after two weeks of predictions? Let's wait. Let's wait until our picks on Thursday. Really? I like that as a lead up. Okay. Cause, yeah. Cause it kind of gets me pumped up okay. or, or depressed. depressed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It is worth saying. I will say- to get your depression out of Go the way. Ahead. Your bet of the week did lose again. It did lose. I know. I saw that. Which means <laughs> from Dak, which is surprising. Yeah. Dak didn't go over 300. No. And my bet of the week won again. So nice. I've got a fairly hefty lead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess switching gears from the NFL, those who listen regularly know we are big fans of Ted Lasso and do our episode by episode review. We have our new episode to review, but before that, the 2021 Emmys took place this weekend and Ted Lasso cleaned house. So best comedy went to Ted Lasso, best actor in a comedy went to Jason Sudeikis, best supporting actor in a comedy went to um, Roy Kent or Brett Goldstein, as he's actually known, and best supporting actress in a comedy went to Hannah Waddingham, I would say, right? Not Waddingham. Waddingham, yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. Who is uh, the owner? Yeah, whatever her name is. Of the team. (laughs) Um, Yeah, look, I think they deserve all of those awards based off season one, which I think if I'm right, that's what they'll be giving them the award. It's based off of season one. They deserve that. Season one was an excellent bit of television. So they 100% deserve those. And I also can't think of any other really great comedies that have taken place over the last 12 months. So, yeah, fully deserved. I would be disappointed if they pick up a similar number of rewards for season two, but then I also worry I that think, the love. I, I mean, the, I think they will because the love fest has started. Right, the full Ted Lasso love fest is in. It's in full effect, and so yeah, there's every chance that this just. It doesn't even matter how good they are at this point. It's just everyone's going to say nice things about Ted Lasso. Uh, well, I will say without doubt, Brett Goldstein is a shoe in for best supporting actor in a comedy series. 
because if anything, he's what's bringing this show at least to a higher level in season two is, is Roy, the Roy Kent character is just crushing it, which we can take as a lead into this episode where the Roy Kent character was not featured. And I want to preface this by, I did not know this originally, but season two was originally 10 episodes, just like season one. But Apple saw how well season one of Ted Lasso did and requested an extra two episodes, but they had already filmed and wrote the majority of the episodes. So the way they addressed this was by adding two standalone episodes Can I guess? that didn't really address. Can I guess which ones? Uh, yeah, go ahead. The Christmas episode <laughs> and this episode. Yes, and exactly. the two worst episodes of the season. Yes, and, and it's, un, it's unfortunate because I you're right. I don't think they are the best episodes, and they're not needed because they don't pull the story. Some people love episodes like this. Some people think these like one-off episodes that have nothing to do with the whole season plot lines are like the greatest episodes. I'm a little torn on this one. I didn't love it, but I didn't straight up hate it. I, I, I didn't know what to think of it. I think. Yeah. To it was, so <laughs> the other, the other thing before we start is this was, so the Christmas episode was definitely a love actually based. There was like four separate scenes that tied in love. Actually, this one was from a 1986 Martin Scorsese movie. Uh, I forget what the movie was called, but supposedly it's almost like highly based off of that movie. It's like an ode to that movie. This is what we've talked about previously with Ted Lasso is these 40 year old white male references that fly over the heads of most people. Cause I don't know how many people have seen this 1986 Martin Scorsese movie that isn't very highly regarded. So that was lost on me. I had never seen it. It made no sense to me until I read afterwards that that's what that was trying to do. So it was making, it made reference to or paid homage to the Scorsese movie after hours, which yes. Cause the, even the name is after hours with coach Beard. It's beard after hours. It's the name of the episode or sorry, beard after hours. Yeah. So they've made it very obvious there what the intent was. And you can feel that again, I didn't know what the references were when I was watching it. But you could tell that yes, this is obviously following something. Like there is, there are references like here. The keys, yes, the consistent thing. use. Yeah, that yeah. was from the movie, and I had just blew right over my head. I had no idea why they like he kept losing his keys. That was supposed to be humorous or funny, but that's apparently from the movie. You know, and the whole noir feel of it was also from the movie, which I I find frustrating to intentionally make a show with references that you know most of your audience is not going to get when on the face of things you are a very basic comedy and i don't mean that as an insult but there are shows i watch for intellectual stimulation and where i go into it saying i'm going to try and appreciate the references and the nuances of what i'm watching and then there's ted lasso which is a show about an American football coach coming over to manage a Premier League team and saying dumb things over the course of that time. So it bothers me a little bit. It also bothers me. This episode, 
as we as I've touched on before, this way that it feels like a championship team who now has this responsibility to give everyone the ball. And this was here's Coach Beard's chance to have his moment in the sun. Everyone thought he was a great character. Here, let's let him drive the bus for a little bit and see how it goes. And uh, I didn't love it. I didn't feel like aspects of the character were consistent with the character we've seen develop over a season and a half. And yeah, it just didn't do anything to push, which makes sense given what you said, but it didn't do anything to push along any of the other plot lines. I also just fundamentally yeah. struggle with the fact that they are all so depressed that they lost to Manchester City in an FA Cup semifinal. This just, if they were going to do it this way, if they were going to have it be this massive disappointment, they should have pitted them against another championship team, a feeling where this was our opportunity to make the FA Cup final and we let ourselves down, or even go even further with that. And they played uh, like a League One team in the FA Cup semifinal. And this really felt like a chance. But the fact that they went in as massive underdogs and were beaten the way you would expect massive underdogs to be beaten, and yet the media are acting as if this was some awful performance and how on earth could it ever happen? The fans are reacting as if, oh my God, how did you let this happen? And everyone, the players and the coaching staff are acting as if this is the biggest disappointment of their careers. They weren't this depressed when they got relegated. So I don't know why they're this depressed when they lose an <laughs> FA Cup semifinal. Yeah, the that was the thing I still struggled with was you lost to arguably the best team in the entire in all of Europe, right? And you're you're not even in their same division, so you can't be that depressed about that loss. The other part was in the beginning when he goes back to his apartment and they're talking on the screen and Thierry Henry uh, talking and he, he says like it's as if they've got curb stomped on American History X at first when you don't know yet that he's kind of dreaming this or not dreaming it but he's hallucinating this I was like oh my god that is one of the darkest things an announcer could have ever said on television like that is one of the most graphic scenes of any movie like are you kidding me no I do yeah I do agree with you until you had that moment where you're like this and seems... even when you realize it it's still a little too much <laughs> but overall I mean I think he did a great job. It's got to be tough to be first pretty much the only person on the screen and trying to run an entire episode. I thought he did a great job acting. My issue was more with the fact exactly what you said. It was a little off the character which, than what I traditionally thought he would do. Which I get it. They're trying to show that everyone in the show is more complex than they originally seem. I just don't know if I need my 30-minute comedy to be trying to show me the complexity of human nature. I'm fine with the stern guy who's pretty serious and whatever remaining the stern guy who's pretty serious, and we don't need to see that he has massive character flaws and is going through some sort of crisis of self-doubt. Um, that's also, he did a good job for the most part in the acting. His Irish accent wasn't that great. <laughs> maybe could have he didn't need to put it on there was no reason he could have just been an american professor at oxford they he didn't sound more legitimate by coming up and having a shitty irish accent that everyone instantly would have said that's not a real irish accent you're, you're clearly a fraud but 
yeah. Apart from that, it was a it was an all right episode, but it wasn't good. What saved the episode for me is, I think when you connect with something, obviously in an episode, you appreciate it more. And for me, there was a big connection when at the very end, he gets to that club underneath the church and he's just kind of like slumped and slowly moving through the dance floor. And then the the song comes on and he just starts like dancing really crazy and wailing out. Because for me, I like personally, when we used to be going out in Paris, there was times where like you would, you personally would drag me to a bar and I would just be exhausted and dead and just like, oh God, like I can't do this anymore. And then you kind of just go into the bar and go down and all of a sudden like a song comes on and it just like kicks you into gear and you just start feeling it and like lose it. And that to me was like the perfect feeling. Like that was a great representation of that feeling I used to have at times when you know, you just don't think you can do it. And then the song just comes and you just lose it. And he did a really good job of that. Like I felt it in that scene and that kind of saved the episode for me. Cause it just really clicked with me on a personal level. Yeah. I, yeah. There were good aspects to it. I also, I don't find anything interesting or compelling about this whole relationship. He does or doesn't have with this woman who has barely appeared in the TV show. So the fact that it continues to be such a, a central plot line and also, again, kind of inconsistent. Like there are moments where it's, is he super into her? Is she super into him? Like she's too, she was too clingy, but then then he was too. Yeah, I thought she's not a good girlfriend. Yeah. Wasn't that two episodes ago yes. when uh, Higgins was Throwing like, up. does she make you a better person? Yes. And he's doing his fake vomit thing because he was so stressed about telling him that Jane is not a good person. Yes. And now we need to be delighted that she's actually in love with him. And I don't know. It just, yeah. Yeah. It's a mediocre TV show now. It's a shame because season one. No, was, it's still a very good TV show. Is it, you're too, you're too harsh. I don't know. I reserve very good. Name a better comedy right now. I mean, I don't actually watch. I think times out. Oh. None. <laughs> I, I I think you should leave with Tim Robinson is better than this. It's a very different style of show, but it makes me laugh way more. No, I still think it's the best that comedy's got out there now. And again, I just don't I wish they just hadn't done these extra two episodes. I think we'd be talking much better about this season. I think th these have both been swings and and misses. Misses. So there are two episodes yeah. left then? Slight misses. There's 12 total and, and that was number 8. Okay. Oh, there's a long way because they've just played the FA Cup semifinal, so they're getting towards the back end of the season. <laughs> there's not long. And the other thing that I don't like, I don't like where this was placed because you're coming off that last episode where it was highly emotional and the big reveal of Ted Lasso's father having committed suicide and that obviously having an impact on his entire life. And then you go to an episode where Coach Beard is wandering the streets. Well, there were two. Losing his uh, yeah, keys. there were two big things. There was the reveal of Coach, the, the Ted Lasso's dad committed suicide. And there was also the, the Jamie Tart with his dad situation. And the only way they addressed that again was having Jamie Tart's dad turn up in a, an alley and 
beat up Coach Beard. But th- th- you're right. That, and I guess we're going to then flip back into the next episode where those are going to be major plot lines. So it feels like this was just a kind of weird hiatus yeah. for no real reason. And I don't know how laws work in England, but if someone gets jumped by three guys, do they, do they not serve for that? I mean, no. As long as you support different football teams, it's fine. He was wearing a Richmond shirt. You know, that's the other thing that bothers me: the fact that they're just always wearing Richmond stuff, like always. Whenever you see the Richmond stuff on, it's just. But yeah, no. Um, it was all right, but hopefully the next episode will be better. I'm depressed, Tim. Uh, Tim, I'm depressed. Sam isn't here because I wanted to ask him about the uh, tapping in thing to see if there are people on the bus and uh, that are annoying like that and ref- like demand that other people tap in, like poking their nose in other people. I bet you that there are. Particularly, I'm sure there are old ladies who would do that. I don't think there are many people who then would refuse to help you out, though. I think that would be, I think you'd be surprised by, that being said, I, the other day when I was in the Metro in Paris and I didn't have any credit cards or debit cards on me, I had to try and buy, and I only have Apple Pay. I thought that I would be able to buy a Metro ticket with Apple Pay. I thought like, it's 2021, Apple Pay is pretty much accepted everywhere. I knew that you wouldn't be able to use it on the machines, the like ticket distributors in the built into the walls. But I thought if I went to the kind of the kiosk, I would be able to use it on the card machine there. I went, placed my order, went to pay, and the the woman working there told me I was far too ahead of my time to try. And Did she get say those that? Are her exact words? I then I, I then offered her. There's like. There's this app called Lydia here. It's similar to, um, what's the app? Venmo. Yeah, similar to Venmo. I was like, if I send you two euros, can you just buy me a metro ticket? And she refused. I was like, I'm happy to send it to you before you give me a two euro coin. She was not willing to do this. Hmm. Yeah, maybe she'll get fired for that. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I can understand. I was then tempted to ask some tourists who were kind of milling around. But then I felt like if I were them. Oh, man, that would have reached the low. <laughs> it would have felt like if I were them. You have two euros. <laughs> I would have felt like if I were them, I'm someone was trying to scam me. Even if it was like, can I just have a two euro coin, please? Or can you just go to this machine and buy me one metro ticket? I would have felt like. A... <laughs> <laughs> you robbed them. <laughs> But I'm a I'm a gentleman robber. Now that you've purchased your metro ticket, I will leave with you that you with that so you can get home safely. Excuse me, dear sir. Can you please pull out your wallet and open it in front of me so I can steal your money? And preferably can you use it at that machine so I can also see your pin code before I take it, because that would make my life a lot easier as well. In other news, I don't know if you saw, Apple TV has a new movie coming out. It's finally not just going to be the one same movie they're trying to run ram down your throats. What's this new movie? Also with Tom Hanks, so I'm assuming Tom Hanks signed like a really. Yeah, I'm assuming Tom Hanks signed some multi, you know, year TV deal with with uh, Amazon. But it's a movie about Tom Hanks as some sort of scientist after 
a solar flare has basically destroyed the earth and it's just him and his dog and then he builds a robot and it's the three of them surviving it's like a weird twist on castaway almost where instead of wilson it's a dog (laughs) but uh it doesn't look and a robot yeah and a robot it doesn't look awful but it didn't look great from the trailer i watched either but i mean i have to watch it because otherwise as soon as ted lasso is done i've got no other interest in ever opening the apple tv app so elsewhere in the news world of sport pretty uneventful round of the premier league apart from city slipping up which i guess we'll save this for maybe for thursday because city play chelsea this weekend so as our like weekend preview Ooh. talk about i mean that's a match that is taking on massive significance even this early in the season and you have to feel as if if chelsea win that city are in serious trouble yeah that will be an interesting match but yeah city slipping to southampton right yeah and I mean, same same thing, right? They're not conceding a lot of goals, and yet they're managing to drop points. They lost to Spurs in a, you know, conceded their. I think it's the only goal they've conceded so far this season in the league, and lost one nil, and then failed to score and draw nil nil. So they're they're dropping points in the both either most efficient or least efficient way possible, depending on how you look at it. Well, if that's the only European football. I did want to see if you had watched the mountain from Game of Thrones in his amateur boxing match. I didn't know. Oh, so he was slated originally to fight Eddie Hall, who is a strong man. They're both strong men, uh, like world's strongest man competitors. Uh, and Eddie, both of them cut a ton of weight. I don't know if you've seen the mountain recently, but he's, shredded now he's just he's less mountainous but more like jagged rocket <laughs> it's i mean he looks scary just absolutely terrifying and eddie hall who's uh also a very big person i think lost 60 pounds or something like that and is still in the 300s but was also looking in really good shape and then he got injured so he dropped out and they picked up some other person to fight him with just six weeks of prep time to fight the mountain which seems like one of the scariest things anyone could proposition you to do uh and i think the mountain won in either a first round tko so pretty easy win um but he will eventually fight eddie hall which i mean the boxing won't be good but just to see two behemoth of men fight each other is more interesting to me than watching a YouTube star fight a washed up fill in sport person. Yeah. Cause I mean, I remember there was that time when Conor McGregor like sparred, not really sparred, but like jokingly was punching and moving around the mountain. I don't know if you've seen that video. Yeah. 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 I think the interesting thing with that is, similar to when we discussed like which animal could you beat i guess i know i couldn't beat the mountain in a physical fight but the question is how good of a fighter or big of a fighter would it take until his physical advantages were no longer enough for him to win you know and i think that's the interesting thing of him then boxing is you kind of get a little bit of insight there into okay if he fought anthony joshua what would happen 
you know, if he fought Tyson Fury. Now, I guess the downside of that, like Joshua and Tyson Fury and all them, they're also huge people. So he probably wouldn't even have that much of a physical size advantage over them anyway. But you do wonder, okay, could like a, you know, could the best middleweight boxer in the world beat him in, in, you know, in a traditional boxing fight and things like that. So there's that twist that makes it interesting, but yeah, have to see. So just to put context in the mountain is six, nine and he, during his game of Thrones world's strongest man would weigh in at about 205 kilos which is about 450 pounds. He cut down to 146 kilos, which is 320 pounds. So he lost over 50 kilograms I mean, that could, of body weight. can like barely be healthy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it actually, he's now really healthy because he has no fat anymore. He's just completely shredded at 6'9", 320. It, it was, and so it, what, for example, if you look at the pictures of his pre-fight, Anthony Joshua, scary. he's absolutely scary. Anthony Joshua is what, like six, seven, I think. Yeah. Six, six. Two thirty. So he's got a, an extra three inches and an extra 80, 90 pounds on him. Yeah. I mean, I'd be more interested in a way in seeing him be in like UFC and could he just basically sit on people? That would be the interesting one where... Like Brock Lesnar. Yeah. <laughs> like if he literally just decided, no, I'm just going to starfish on top of you and it's game over just from that moment. But anything else from from the weekend that caught your eye? Well, the only thing was Penn State looking good. Shout out to uh, our friend Chris Furlong, who is a avid james franklin hater and has coined the term franklin is a fraud along with my dad i'm in a group chat with the three of them and the only messages that go through the group chat are usually every six to eight months franklin is a fraud (laughs) but he pulled through and beat auburn and now penn state is ranked number six so uh they have a outside shot right now to make the the playoff you know usually one big 10 team will do it and iowa is ranked fifth and they play each other in two weeks so the winner of that's going to probably move into the top four or if not sit in fifth and wait for one of the other ones to mess up and ohio state looks as bad as i've ever seen them so yeah i'm i missed i missed most of college football because there was a wedding on saturday so i caught the back end i got home at around 4 a.m my time I caught the back end. I watched some of the UCLA Fresno game, which was like kind of a crazy yeah, ending. Fresno State won that, but but yeah, I missed almost all of the college football on Saturday. I mean, the Alabama game was great. Florida came back and missed the two point conversion to tie the game up at the end, so Alabama escaped that. But Florida is a you know they're a decent team, so. And Oklahoma just barely escaped out of Nebraska, which was, or they were in Oklahoma, but barely beat Nebraska, which was not impressive at all. So it's, it's going to be an interesting college football playoff. I think no, no team this year looks dominant to me. I mean, Alabama looks beatable for the first time in a long time. 
and two, three, four, five, six, you know, two to two to ten could be anyone's game. No one looks, you know, there's not like the Clemson, Alabama dominant as usual kind of thing. So it, it could be a good year for college football. Yeah, I think that's more compelling. As someone who's not, I don't have a, a dog in the fight when it comes to college football. I like seeing, it's interesting to watch, but I certainly think if when the playoffs roll around, if it legitimately feels as if every team in the playoffs has a chance, you know, you normally go into those games and one team is like a 17 point favorite in the semifinals. And even in the other one, sometimes it's a case of what well, we both know, we know which two teams are going to make the finals. And then it's a question of who who's going to win it. If if all four teams have a legitimate chance, that's that's much more compelling. And then I guess the only yeah, other and even Cincinnati's in it at number eight, which is crazy. They're the highest ranked non-power five this early in the season ever. So if they win out, there's also an outside chance, but they won't. But they say there's an outside chance that they could make the playoff and be the first non-power five. Only other big bit of sporting news, I guess, was uh, I don't know if you saw, we occasionally obviously discuss what's going on in the world of cricket. And uh, New Zealand had to pull out of their tour of Pakistan. They pulled out on the morning of a one-day international that they were due to play because of security concerns. Uh, And they immediately flew out of the country. England were then also due to play, to go on tour to Pakistan ahead of the T20 World Cup. They have now pulled out of that again, citing security concerns. So for listeners who aren't familiar, Pakistan didn't host any home international cricket for, I think it was seven years. There was a terrorist attack there. I think it was in 2005 when it was the Sri Lankan bus, I believe, going to a test match was attacked on its way to the stadium and they didn't host any international matches at home uh, for those seven years, and then it took it took basically until around 2019 until they were sort of fully established as having any country comfortable being coming to to play in Pakistan. So, could be a long time until they are hosting matches again. In all likelihood, be playing in Dubai or Abu Dhabi instead of in Pakistan. That's where the T20 World Cup is too, right? Yeah. It's uh, UAE. Yeah, and it's also where the IPL, the Indian Premier League, is currently being played. So I think we're going to get a lot of cricket being played in in, in the UAE over the next few years. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should wrap it up there. And I look forward to our week three NFL preview next episode. Yeah, and the return of Sam, hopefully. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Talk to you later. See you.